0: This
1: My name is Peter Harrison and This
2: This This is is Music Unplugged on Utter Radio.
3: And how does I call you like you
2: you call me Donald? for real. It's Trump, innit? it yeah.
3: What is the most popular thing in the world?
4: Music. 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 Music.
0: This is a journey into sound. A journey which along the way will bring to you new colour, new dimension, new values, and a new experience. Just what is it that you want to do?
5: We're going to have a good time. We're going to have a party.
2: Hello and welcome to Music Unplugged, the show in which we delve deep into the fascinating field of music. I'm Matt.
6: And I'm Evie. Coming up in today's jam-packed show...
2: We'll be speaking to Cambridge professor Peter Harrison and looking into the psychology of music, exploring about how music affects our.
1: My name's Peter Harrison and I'm the director for the Centre for Music and Science at the Faculty of Music at the University of Cambridge.
6: Also on the show we'll be hearing from musician and acoustic engineer Trevor Cox to find out about the science behind sound.
3: When we look at music, it kind of appears in every human culture we look at, so it seems to be fundamental to being human, and one of the things is is it brings us together.
2: And we'll also be looking at the use of music as a form of therapy, hearing from Michael Bonshaw, a music psychologist from the University of Sheffield.
4: So um, I'm a music psychologist. I work at the University of Sheffield.
2: And as well as Laura Fester from BAMT, a music therapy charity.
0: So my name is Laura Fester. I'm the director of music therapy for the North Yorkshire Music Therapy Centre.
6: We'll also have a live interactive quiz, testing your knowledge of music through the decades.
2: And we let our roaming reporter, Ben Rhodes, loose on the streets of Manchester to chat to people about their favourite music genres and artists.
1: Hey Music Unplugged, I'm at Media City today and I'm gonna be asking some people about their choices of music.
6: And finally, we'll be exploring the many ways in which we consume and distribute music. But first, have you ever thought about where music all began? Where did the first musical sound come from? What was the first ever musical instrument made of? How have musical genres evolved through time? How on earth did we get from the cave bops of the Stone Age to the chart-toppers of today? I have so many questions.
2: Don't worry, Evie. Relax. I've got this covered.
6: This is Music Unplugged on Utter Radio.
2: So, you want to know the entire history of music? Well, that's a huge subject, but I'll try my best. Now it's hard to pinpoint exactly where or when the first sounds of music originated from, but first we need to traverse the space-time continuum and travel all the way back to the Pleistocene era. Now, this is a time before proper language, real instruments and modern society, and it's a world inhabited by Neanderthals. And this lovely looking species have a distinct throat shape and a large nose, which allows them to produce vocal sounds, meaning they can actually sing before they can even speak. Well, I'll use the word sing in a very loose sense. Sadly, though, these poor Neanderthals end up going extinct around 40,000 years ago and Homo sapiens come out on top. Humans won, Neanderthals nil. Over in continental Asia in around 3000 BC, Hindus are introducing the practice of om chanting, where they produce a vibration in their throat to calm the mind and connect with their true self. Pretty unbelievable, if you ask me. Right, ignore that, let's carry on. Once humans have figured out how to use their voices to make music, they begin to create basic instruments. And some Bronze Age Brits even decide to turn the bones of their deceased relatives into flutes. Well, I guess it's what Nana would have wanted. Eventually humans make more complex instruments with the ancient Greeks creating the lyre. And no, I'm not talking about politicians. I mean a stringed musical instrument. Honestly. At this same time in history, over in what is now present-day Syria, the oldest known musical melody is written, the Hurrian hymn number no. six, which is actually released before the more commercially successful Mambo number no. five.
0: A little bit of Monica in my life, a little bit of Erica by my soul.
2: The medieval period sees a growth in Christianity, and in the late 8th century along comes Gregorian chanting, described as monophonic, meaning only one sound and a distinct lack of harmony. So a bit like my dad doing karaoke. Eventually harmonies are added, and by 1400 the Renaissance is here. The word literally means rebirth, as it's an era of discovery, experimentation and innovation. After the Renaissance, along comes the Baroque period, a time of dramatic and emotive advances. The orchestra is born, opera takes centre stage in high culture, composers like Handel, Bach, and Vivaldi pioneer a more modern sound. After Baroque comes classical in around the year 1750, the era of the big boy composers Beethoven and Mozart, who writes his first song aged eight. Bit of a show-off, don't you think? The symphony is created, the sonata is developed and the waltz comes into fashion. Then less than a century later, along comes the Romantic period, which sees music become all the more expressive. One of the most popular the ballets of all time, Swan Lake is composed by Tchaikovsky, opera undergoes a dramatic makeover and the mid-19th century sees the arrival of mass-produced pianos and the saxophone. And let's be honest, who doesn't love sax? <laughs> the 20th century sees many world-changing events as well as new technological advances which provides the perfect backdrop for the birth of modernism which is all about challenging the norm. 1906 sees the broadcast of music on the radio for the very first time. The jazz movement rises from New Orleans descending from the blues songs sung by slaves during the 1860s. Big band also becomes popular which is when jazz music is played by a big band funnily enough. In the 1950s something's got a hold on Memphis, Tennessee as blues and gospel influences combine to create soul. Rhythm and blues merges with country music, and helped by the invention of the electric guitar in the 1930s, rock and roll changes the scene forever, and by 1956 people are rocking around the clock as the genre goes mainstream thanks to artists like Elvis Presley and Buddy Holly. The 1960s sees the meteoric rise of a rock band from Liverpool called The Beatles, you might have heard of them, and this decade also saw the creation of the UK Charts and Top of the Pops in 1964. Soul, jazz and rhythm and blues infused in the 1970s to create funk, which also leads to disco. This up-tempo, beat-heavy music is all about just having a boogie and being accepting of everyone on the dance floor, so just good vibes, really. A shift in music technology in the 1980s sees an explosion in electronic music, thanks to auto autotune, synthesizers and drum sequences, with styles such as hip-hop, house and R&B emerging as a result. In 1990s America, punk and grunge rock represents the rebellious young generation, while back in the UK, the Britpop surge sees bands such as Blur and Oasis battle for album sales, as well as the creation of, yep, you guessed it, the boy band. The Naughty sees the convergence of more musical styles, pop and hip-hop music dominate the decade with artists like Usher, Beyonce and Rihanna topping the charts. And who could forget the 2005 cover of "Axel F by the little CGI character The Crazy Frog, which peaks at number two in the UK that year. The 2010 sees R&B make a massive comeback with artists like The Weeknd and Frank Ocean. Electronic music breaks into the mainstream through genres such as dubstep and big room EDM with producers like David Guetta, Deadmau5 and Swedish House Mafia becoming globally recognized. K-pop becomes a viral sensation, partly thanks to the success of the 2012 hit Gangnam Style. And now, in the 2020s, music is more accessible than ever because of streaming giants like Spotify and Apple Music, to the point where owning vinyl records is now considered cool and retro. So there you have it, a brief history of music, from prehistoric man to the Gen Z of today. Right now, could someone please get me a chair? I need to sit down after that. And a point.
6: That was a lot of information in one go. Thanks for that, Matt.
2: No worries, although I did have to crack out the old inhaler after that.
6: So that was all about the evolution of music genres, but what about how the ways in which we listen to music has changed over the years? Yeah, that's
2: a very valid point, and I'm sorry that I missed that part out, but don't worry, we can redeem ourselves with a one-minute fact blast, all about music formats through time. Start the clock, here we go. In 1889, the phonograph was invented and the way in which we consume music changed forever. In 1948, Columbia Records made a 33 RPM long play, or LP format, and shortly after, RCA developed a 45 RPM extended play, or EP format of vinyl. In
6: 1963, the compact cassette was created by Philips it was affordable and small while holding 45 minutes of audio per side.
2: In the 1970s both Philips and Sony were trying out more affordable, lightweight and higher quality replacements for tape. And in
6: 1982 the company stepped forward and developed the compact disc with Sony launching the first ever CD player the same year.
2: The MP3 was initially developed in the 1980s by the German electrical engineer Karl Heinz Brandenburg. But It
6: wasn't until 1992 that the file format broke into the mainstream and MP3 players became all the rage with the first ever iPod launch in 2001.
2: With the huge growth of the internet at the turn of the millennium, companies saw a chance to make music accessible for all without the need for downloading. With the creation of
6: Spotify in 2006 and the launch of the iPhone in 2007, streaming platforms made millions of songs available in the palm of your hand and are still going strong today.
2: I think we just about (laughs) nailed that, you know, yeah. You're listening to Music Unplugged on Utter Radio. Okay, the time is now coming up to 9.43, but now it's time to delve into the science of music. What actually is sound? How does it travel all the way to our brain? And why are humans so fascinated with the musicality of sounds? And why does music feature in so many cultures across the globe and through time?
6: Well, we caught up with Trevor Cox, a professor of acoustic engineering, right here at the University of Salford, to tell us why. Check this out.
3: Well, when, I, when I, if I was to sing a note, which I won't do because I won't subject you to such horrible things, I'm not a very good singer, I, what I'm creating is little pressure variations, little fluctuations in pressure, and that's what a sound wave is, and it goes from my mouth through the air that you then have going down your ear canal. That reaches the eardrum. The eardrum vibrates and moves a series of small bones called the ossicles, there's three of those, which also vibrate. And then that pushes the fluid in the inner ear, in the cochlea. the cochlea is a kind of snail-shaped, tiny little thing in your inner ear. And that's where the vibrations, the physical vibrations of what's called the basilar membrane are then turned into electrical signals, which then go up into our brain. Um, And it's that point at which we have heard something and we start processing it. When we look at music, it kind of appears in every human culture we look at. So it seems to be fundamental to being human. And one of the things is, is it brings us together. You know, we get together either for music making or for music listening, whether that's going to a club or going to your local choir to sing in it. Uh, it's something that socialises. And in fact, one of the explanations for the importance of music to mankind is it's it's kind of like a communal grooming. So when we were apes, uh, we would groom by physically picking fleas off, you know, nearby nearby apes and that would be how we would bond as a group and you can't go around doing the physical grooming anymore so we have oral grooming which is what you know music and it's a way we we bring people together and it's really tied up also with our memories because we have real strong memories of you know important times you Now it might be stress of doing your final exams at university or it might be when someone's getting born or when someone unfortunately dies and we have you know music associated with those times which is one of the reasons I mean, you think about teenage life as a particularly emotional time we often have very strong affixation to the music we listen to when we were a teenager going on right through our life because it sort of kind of marks an important part in our life.
6: Trevor Cox there with some really interesting food for thought.
2: Yeah, 100%. I really enjoyed chatting to him. And he's also a Guinness World Record holder and an avid saxophone player, I must add. Right, so now it's time to rack your memories, to test your musical ear, to transport you back to the golden eras of music. As it's now time for... This is the Music
1: of the Decades
2: quiz. OK, and I believe we have Matty on the line. Can you hear us? Hey, yeah. Uh, yeah. Hello, how are you doing?
0: Thanks, how
2: are you? I'm alright, I'm alright. Thanks. Right, here's how the format is going to work.
6: The aim of the game is to answer a series of questions from each decade, starting in the 60s all the way
2: through to the noughties. Now, there'll be one question for each decade and each correct answer you'll get one point. Get all the questions right and you'll win tickets to see Harry Styles on tour. Can I get a woo? Woo Are you a Harry Styles fan?
3: I am indeed.
2: Ah, brilliant. Right, let's get on with the quiz.
1: This is the music for the decades quiz.
2: Okay. So your first question is from the 60s, a time of anti-war protests, Beatlemania, and the civil rights movement. So here it comes. After her music career took off in the 1960s, who went on to become known as the Queen of Soul? Um Is it
0: Aretha Franklin?
2: Yeah, well then it certainly is Aretha Franklin. Yeah, indeed. After a good start, let's keep this up.
6: The next question is from the 70s, a time of high-waisted flared jeans and bell bottoms, but we want to know which month became a disco hit for Earth, Wind and Fire in 1978.
3: Um,
6: which month? Yeah.
5: Oh, um, September. Remember?
6: The answer, of course, was September.
2: Okay, right. Next up, the unashamed decade of mullets, spandex, neon micro, and a seemingly distant lack of hairbrushes—the 80s. So, can you tell me who was the lead singer of Spandau Ballet? Oh, I don't know his name. <sighs> oh, I'm gonna have to pass on that one. Oh no, the answer was Tony Hadley. All oh, right, okay. Still time to uh, to claw it back. Okay.
6: Going into the 90s now, the era of oversized denim, Spice Girls and Friends. In which year was Britney Spears' debut single, Baby One More Time, released?
0: Um, oh, goodness me. I'm going to say... Um,
3: oh,
6: no.
2: Going to have to push you for an answer. Uh,
3: in... I don't know, um, 1999.
6: Oh, Ooh, so close. The answer was
2: 1998. Hit me, baby, one more time. Okay, moving into the millennium now with the decade that marked the excessive use of hair gel and hair dye amongst teenagers, and who can forget those horrendous three-quarter lengths? It's the noughties. So for your final question, in which year did the King of Pop, Michael Jackson, die? Um, Was it 2008? Oh, no, it was 2009. <laughs>
6: So, Matty, in total, you got two out of a possible five correct, which means you're not going to the Aww. Harry Styles concert. I'm sorry. How do you feel? Absolutely gutted. Sound bad.
2: I'm so sorry, uh, but it is your own fault. Okay, anyway, thank you for playing, Matty, and uh, join us again next week to see how another contestant fares in our Mighty Decades quiz.
1: This is the Music of the Decades quiz.
6: The time is now forty eight minutes past nine, and as the year draws to a close, let's cross over to our music and entertainment expert, Frankie Golder, for a look at her top tracks of twenty twenty two.
5: Time to find out the songs that have topped the charts, infiltrated people's social media feeds, and created the most global hype this year. So here it is: the top five songs of twenty twenty two, brought to you by Otter Radio. In at number five is Eliza Rose's chart topping summer bop, Baddest of Them All, when she became the first female DJ to top the UK singles chart in over 20 years.
0: She's as as
5: Taking the number four spot is As It Was by Harry Styles, released on his latest album, Harry's House. The song has sold over 4 million units in the US, becoming his fastest single to achieve this. You
1: know it's not the same.
5: Number three goes to Canadian Singer the Weekend with Lesson Zero, the penultimate track of his fifth album, Dawn FM. That... In at number two comes one of the most influential female artists of the 21st century, Beyoncé, with the lead single Break My Soul, from her house-inspired album, Renaissance. Ooh, ooh, ooh. And taking the top spot is Steve Lacey with the second single from his second album, Bad Habit, which became the first song to top five different Billboard genre charts at the same time.
2: Tongue, so
5: what do you think of our selections? Which one is your favourite? What songs soundtrack to 2022 for you? Get in touch and let us know on our socials at Utter Radio and bring on 2023.
2: You're listening to Music Unplugged on Utter Radio.
6: Frankie Golder there with a blast through the biggest tunes of 2022.
2: Yeah, a lot of great tracks came out this year. and I particularly liked Baddest of Them All and I actually sing it to myself in the shower. Of course you do. Uh, Anyway, up next, we sent our roaming reporter, Ben Rhodes, out on the road, chatting to the public about their favourite genres and artists. Take a listen. Hey Music Unplugged,
1: I'm at Media City today and I'm going to be asking some people about their choices of music so let's go what's your favorite genre of music what is my favorite genre of music
0: um uh, um
1: i think my favorite genre of music at the minute is japanese city pop my favorite genre is uh alternative music probably
6: like the classic pop you know what's going on in the charts and stuff like that nothing too too Extreme. Lo-Fi, Jazz rap.
1: Who are your favourite artists?
6: Currently at the moment is Harry Styles. Um
1: My favourite artist is Anne Rhee. Uh,
6: My favourite artist is uh, a band called Peach Pip.
1: Tim Hinton from Leafia. How does that music make you feel?
6: I just like the variety of his music. I know it's very mainstream and everything, but He's got calming ones, he's got upbeat ones, he's got them all going on.
1: They make me feel like I'm on like holiday or something, I'm about to go to a spa or you know, go swimming somewhere. It just makes me feel like in a jolly mood.
0: The music makes me feel very chill, like
6: uh, it's not just what they're singing about, but it's also the, the way it's produced. It is very satisfying to hear the good riffs. How do you
1: feel connected to that community of that genre?
6: I feel like the Harry fandom is quite a big thing at the moment. Um, You see it all over social media and everything like that.
1: Um, I don't really feel that connected because the music was made in the eighties, but surprisingly there's a bit of a resurgence uh, in listeners to Japanese city pop. I feel like the community feels a bit more intimate and that we were a bit more like explorative of like trying to find an artist we like. So I feel connected in that sense.
6: When I first listened to those artists, I was very impressed. So I ended up like digging deep, uh, looking through covers from different people. And yeah, I'm just visibly impressed.
1: So we've heard a bit about the different subcultures in music and how each community is completely different. This has been Music Unplugged here at Media City, Salford, Manchester.
2: Back to you in the studio.
6: Thanks for that Ben.
2: Yeah, really interesting stuff. It's nice to hear how music resonates with people in so many different ways. And here's a quick overview on music subcultures, you ready Evie? Let's do it. Now sometimes the genre of music is so dynamic, the fans assemble with a similar look, ideas and values that the fan base itself becomes a cultural phenomenon. And there are many different types of subcultures and today we're going to be looking at punk, indie and hip hop.
6: One of the most well-known subcultures is punk. Trends usually include body modifications, such as piercings and tattoos, wearing lots of black, spikes, and having your hair in a mohawk.
2: Next up is hip-hop. As well as a genre, it's considered a culture and art movement, typically characterised by four elements, including rapping, breakdancing, DJing, and graffiti.
6: Indie is a subgenre of rock music, originally getting its name from the use of independent record labels and the do-it-yourself attitude of the artists. A common belief within the indie culture is anti-conformity.
2: And there are so many subcultures we'll be here all day listing them, but our deep dive into all things music doesn't stop there, does it?
6: No, it certainly doesn't. As now it's time to investigate the psychology of music. Why is it that certain songs evoke certain emotions within us? Why do particular chord sequences make our hairs stand on end? Why is it that music is such a key part in our daily lives?
2: And I think we're going to need an expert to answer these questions, but we're in luck, as here's Peter Harrison, a professor in music and science at the University of Cambridge, to tell us more.
1: My name's Peter Harrison, and I'm the director for the Centre for Music and Science at the Faculty of Music at the University of Cambridge. It's still a bit of a mystery why humans are so fascinated with music, and one of these ideas that's really important is that music is this cultural product that has evolved over the centuries to try and tickle many of our cognitive capacities. When we're in our natural environments, our brain is constantly buzzing away, trying to understand um, and appreciate what's going on in our auditory environment. And this is a process we call auditory scene analysis, and it's really important just for day-to-day existence. And music is really well designed for um, probing these kinds of processes. So the way that melodies are constructed, chords are created out of harmonic combinations of notes. Then, of course, there's this whole emotional side of music. Why should we feel any kind of emotion when we hear just a pattern of pitches? One idea is that it's down to the brain having these built-in mechanisms for recognizing emotion in speech. So we know what it sounds like when someone is speaking and they're sad, like when they're angry and so on. Our voice has certain acoustic characteristics that convey this emotion. So if you're angry, your voice might get louder and you might have this kind of emphatic side to it. And music can actually do many of those same things, but it can actually do it to a more extreme extent. So we can, with our violin, with our whole palette of orchestral instruments, we can get this huge expressive range, you know, right down from these lowest bass notes up to these really high, treble notes and we can have this massive variety of timbre and articulation. So music becomes this super expressive voice. It manages to hijack these facilities that we have for recognising emotion in speech and then do it to extreme extent.
6: Thank you peter for those interesting insights so still touching on the subject of psychology let's explore how music can be used as therapy
2: and we spoke with music psychologist michael bonshaw to find out more about this fascinating form of treatment as well as society's obsession with music Feature is on this
4: So um, I'm a music psychologist, I work at the University of Sheffield. Uh, There are quite a few different ways of talking about the therapeutic uses of music. So there's the one I suppose that is most obvious to most people, which is music therapy. So music therapy is used in a fairly formal situation with a trained music therapist and it's designed to help people with their communication very often or perhaps to express Um, things that they find difficult in words. But there are other ways of using music therapeutically. Um, There's also something called music medicine. And by that, we mean situations when music might be used to help people to relax, maybe while they're having their teeth filled. Um, Quite often I think music's played when people are going for an MRI scan or perhaps to improve their environment. You know, when you go on the train, everybody's got their headphones in, haven't they these days? And it's partly because we use music to create our own little kind of sound bubble. So again, we're conditioned for our bodies almost to join in with whatever music we're listening to. So, you know, if you want to go to sleep, you'll probably choose something that's going at around 60 beats per minute, around your own heart rate, maybe, uh, that will help you to relax. If you're trying to get yourself in the mood for going out clubbing you're going to put something on that raises your heartbeat and makes you feel really energetic and ready to dance the night away, aren't you, you know? When we're happy do we want to listen to happy music? Well the answer usually is yes. And if we're sad, do we want to listen to sad or happy music? And researchers found that actually sometimes people would choose happier music to kind of lift their spirits. On the other hand, some people kind of need to have a chance for a sort of cathartic release of their emotions. What are the things that make being a professional musician stressful? Is it the travel? Is it the low pay for most of us? on sociable hours? Is it the way that music management treats us? You know, the other aspect of being a professional musician is we do have to perform, you know, no matter how we're feeling. So, you know, if you've got a gig booked, you've got to be very, very unwell before you actually feel that you can cancel it because you don't want to let your audience down. So there's increasing pressure on people to deliver, no matter how they're feeling, you know. And I think that, again, makes it difficult in terms of mental health. And I think that if people actually talk about it, it kind of helps other people too.
6: Well, that was amazing to hear from Michael. We also caught up with Laura Festa, a music therapist.
0: So my name is Laura Festa. I'm the director of music therapy for the North Yorkshire Music Therapy Centre. We provide a music therapy service in all North Yorkshire, uh, from the area that goes from York to Scarborough. There are very different models, uh, but music therapy is uh, a process where the therapist engages um, the clients in um, making some music or listening to the music or using the music as a tool. And it's a dynamic process and it's got its theoretical background. And frame. And so, what we do usually, we use music uh, to support a change in the client's life, to become more resilient, and to uh, to support any area that may need uh, a support. Uh, so we, we engage the, the clients or the group of clients in musical activities basically, and and then we can translate those activities or music making or reflection around music in their to day strategies. Uh, It really can be very different a session from another session because we follow the client's lead. And a session with one person, the structure of the session cannot be the appropriate session for another group of clients. Um, so this is very general. So usually we, we bring in some instrument following the, the clients or the group of clients' abilities and needs. And so we, we, we select uh, a section of musical instrument and we bring it in a setting. And then we start the session asking, saying hello to our clients and then asking if they want to do an activity or we can propose an activity uh, that can be usually music making. So it can be free improvisation on a musical instrument or can be more structured. So for example we can propose musical games and then create free space for free improvisation in it.
2: It's really uh, interesting to kind of see how music is changed people's lives, you know, for the better. So thank you for that, Laura and Michael.
6: Well, that leaves us on a lovely high note to wrap up this week's show
2: and we've discussed so much on the show today I think I need a nap and another pint
6: it's been such fun it's been such a fun jam-packed show this week we've learned about the history of music genres
2: we've heard some of the songs that have soundtracked the year
6: and finally learned about the music formats science, subcultures therapy and psychology and don't forget
2: our music through the decades quiz for you and
6: we still managed to pull
2: it off with style we certainly did tune in next week when we're going to be learning all about sound in the animal kingdom so don't miss it it's going to be an amazing episode Sorry. <laughs> but that's
6: all for today I've been your host Evie
2: <laughs> and I've been your host Matt and this has been Music Unplugged
6: This is Music Unplugged on Utter Radio